Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. In the Challenge series, Cheryl leads a conversation-style teaching with special guests Angie Emma and Jasmine Allnut. So we're going to do something a little bit different because there is a lot to cover and we don't want to miss anything. So instead of reading the passage, I'm going to kind of just summarize where we're at. So if you have your Bible, you could open your Bible to Luke chapter 22. And this first day that we're going to discuss is verses 7 through 13. And we're coming up on the Passover. It's just before the Passover. And Jesus is telling his disciples what to do to prepare for the Passover. And so let's just jump straight into that. Mm -hmm. From Luke 2, 7, what do you think is significant about the timing of these events? The day of unleavened bread and the Passover, very significant, obviously. Yeah, and it's the day when the lamb would be killed Mm -hmm. and prepared for the Passover. So a lot of people believe this was a Thursday um, or a Wednesday even, because the Galileans often celebrated the day before. Mm-hmm. And it could be, but it was actually, you know, the lamb would be killed before mm-hmm. and prepared for the Passover. Mm-hmm. And so the lamb was not killed and roasted on the same day. It would be killed and prepared. Mm-hmm. And so that's so significant mm-hmm. on the day when the lamb is killed that Jesus would ex- would explain the significance of what he was going to do because he's the lamb who's going to be killed who's mm-hmm. going to take away this the sin of the world right. right right and like with the significance of the passover being from that feast in exodus where mm-hmm. the um, the people of israel would be looking for a messiah like that's a huge significance of mm-hmm. the passover is all of it is they're looking for a deliverer they're looking for a messiah and this feast is celebrating the deliverance that God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it's also like looking forward to a deliverer, a Messiah. Because this is the new Exodus. This Mm -hmm. is the real Exodus of which the only foreshadowed, the earlier one only foreshadowed, Mm -hmm. because Jesus is the real deliverer. And he is going to take us from the Egypt of sin you know, across and lead us into the promised land. But, you know, after you get saved, there's that wilderness that you go through, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, so many of the old spirituals uh, would talk about crossing over Jordan because that's death. And that's, it's crazy mm-hmm. that death is what brings us into the promises, mm-hmm. the ultimate promises of God, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? Yeah, no, well, and in all of that, I just love the, um, just the way that God orchestrates everything you know what I mean? Beforehand, he he knew that he was that Jesus was going to be the Passover lamb, and you know, like First mm-hmm. Corinthians says that Christ our Passover, right? right. But um, well, everything I, of the the Old Testament like that is all foreshadowing. Yeah, right. it was like we tend to think that Christ was af, it was made after the Passover, but the Passover was made about Christ. Exactly. To prepare the people for what God was going to do. Yeah. No. 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 But just yeah. Exactly. And it was just it was a good reminder to me too that God orchestrates everything, you know, even in our lives, just applying that, like everything has a purpose, Mm -hmm. there's a time. I mean, you know, just these things that they would never have thought about, I don't think, you know what I mean? They're just doing, okay, well, we just put blood on the lintels of the doors and all this stuff. They weren't thinking about the greater implications, but God always has such a big picture in mind in everything that he's doing. And I I just was reminded again how God plans everything and orders everything so perfectly. Mm -hmm. His timing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And we see that too with this, um, Jesus gives his disciples instruction. He tells them to go into the city and he tells them they're gonna see a man carrying a pitcher of water and that they're to follow him to his house, Mm -hmm. that that's where they're gonna eat. So there's significance in that too, like what you were saying, Mm -hmm. is that God had all of this planned out like Mm -hmm. you know we just saw with Jonah how many things God prepared and here again we see this sovereignty of God and the preparation of God for the things that he has planned and to see a man carrying a pitcher of water would Mm -hmm. have been super unusual and and so but it's cool because that was a you know it's sort of a natural thing just somebody carrying water but it was there was something supernatural about it it was just it was clear for the disciples what they were supposed to do and I love the clarity God gives and I love the fact that Jesus is bringing them into participation and I believe that the Lord is saying I want you to be able to follow instructions because from now on you're going to have to hear my word and follow my word and so I feel like this is part of a process Mm -hmm. and 
when they did what he said, they found it just as he said. Yes. And that part really um, struck me, that it's only when we follow the instructions of the Lord that we'll find it as he said. And I once did a Bible study, and it was called When the Word of God Does Not Work. Mm-hmm. And because it doesn't work if you're not under the authority. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't work if you don't apply it. I mean, people want to pick and choose what scriptures to apply. And that's not how the Word of God works. You have to be under the full authority of the Word of God, and then it works. And it's interesting, because I was reading this morning in um, First Samuel, and it's where you know, Hophni and Phinehas and the people of Israel, they want to use the Ark of the Covenant as a talisman. Yeah, to, good luck charm. Yeah. Right, a good luck charm to guarantee their victory. And it doesn't work like that. But um, it, you can't use the Bible or the Word of God like a good luck charm. It's only as we obey it and come under its authority that we will find it just as he said. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And so that really, yeah. that was it. But then again, the opportunity to participate. Mm-hmm. Like he doesn't say, let me lead you to the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or I'll just go you. to this yeah. room, you know, on this street. He could have given them the address. But I love how God adds this mystery mm-hmm. and, cause, and allows us to be part of this story. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I feel like we see his hand more in yes. that than if he just said, go to here, I'll put it on Google Maps for you, go yes. to here. It's like, no, leading, when you're in his leading, you, you're seeing him and learning his ways more and more. And yes. yeah, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of cool that way. And growing in faith. Years ago, um, I flew to Colorado. I was doing, um, I was speaking at a conference in Colorado. And I remember I was flying there and my plane was delayed for an hour. When I got there and went over to where I was supposed to rent a car, and I don't know why, every retreat in Colorado, they're like, and we've arranged for you to have a car that you rent. It's like, what? I've never, I mean, I've never driven in Colorado till you know, this is my second time driving in Colorado. I don't know my way in Colorado at all. And so they arranged for me to rent a car. The the line is out the door and everybody else is complaining and I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna make it in time, so I might as well just enjoy this. Uh And I got a chance, like the girl's like, You're the nicest person to me and I'm like, Well, you know what? I just feel like the Lord's in charge and why stress? And she's like well, what are you doing? I said, I'm speaking at a Christian conference and I might be late, but what of it, you know? Mm-hmm. And she's like, I got a chance to really share Jesus with her and be the nicest person in line. And that's a big thing, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. everyone else is yelling out at her and I'm like, you can't do anything about this, yeah. you know? So I get my car. So I'm already late. The GPS is telling me it's going to be an hour. So I can't listen to anything. I have to just have my phone right there speaking to me mm-hmm. and I realized that I have to listen so attentively to this voice and that's that because I don't know where I'm going I've never been here before and if I don't listen to this voice I'm going to get so lost and I'm not going to make this conference and I just thought this is such a spiritual analogy yeah. that we just have to tune ourselves I couldn't have music on I couldn't have any distractions I had to just yeah. listen to this voice and that's what the Lord is doing yeah. he's he's getting them attuned to his voice mm-hmm. and his instructions because this is paramount mm-hmm. paramount to what they're going to do in the future mm-hmm. you know well and part mm-hmm. of that comes from knowing their master and trusting him and so the more we know Jesus the more we trust him yeah. the easier it is to listen because like you see he had it all prepared he had it all worked out but they had to just step through and trust him yeah right. let's like, move on to I day to trust two the gps yes <laughs> good okay so this part we're in luke 22, 14 through 23, and Jesus is setting up all of the things leading up to the Passover and what it's about and instituting, this is really the new covenant. So Mm -hmm. let's get into this. These phrases, Jesus's perspective towards this hour, he says, the hour had come, fervent Mm -hmm. desire, the Passover before I suffer, no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled and in the kingdom of God. So which one of these phrases that Jesus um, was sharing his perspective on stood out to you the most? A couple of them. (laughs) I mean, I actually liked that it said the hour had come because there's so many times prior to this that Jesus says my hour has not yet come. Over and over again, it's like, nope, not yet, not yet. And now it's really here. And it's just like, man, just the significance of this moment to Jesus. And and I was thinking about it, I was like, man, no wonder... 
He said he had fervent desire. You think of all that this was building up to for him. And it's, you know, later we're gonna see how clueless the disciples were, but it's like, for Jesus, Mm -hmm. he's so aware, like, this is the beginning of everything that I came for, really. Because after this, I'm gonna break the bonds of sin and death. I mean, this is... This is it. So, I mean, just thinking about, and I know God is in eternity and so he's outside of time, but for him to be, I guess he is, because he was a man here in this moment, in this time, there's just like this sense of excitement and desire to just really, and I, I don't know, I just thought that was so cool. And I think of it as the growing desire. It started in Eden. Yeah. When yeah, that fellowship was broken. Yeah. And that's where you've got the uh, proto-evangelical um, scripture mm-hmm. where it talks about there will come a day where the seed of Eve will bruise right. the head of serpent. the serpent mm-hmm. and have his, his heel um, bruised um, mm-hmm. in doing so. And you're thinking, God has been waiting for this time yeah. of reconciliation yeah. and of restoration. And Jesus is here explaining the whole reason he's come. Right. Mm-hmm. And then too, the, the cross is the glorification of God. Because the cross, you know, I've, I've been reading, when God reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, and I think I said last week, this mm-hmm. is the most quoted scripture by the Bible mm-hmm. that... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a God of compassion. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. in the Gospel of Matthew, he talks again about Jesus is moved with compassion. Jesus is moved with compassion. And that is the same word that's used. So, of course, the Bible's written in Hebrew, but when, when it was translated in Greek with the Septuagint, this word compassion is the same word that's used mm-hmm. about Jesus being moved in compassion. And so you're to draw the inference that this is God. And so when Jesus is dying on the cross, the greatest attribute that God wants known about himself is his compassion. Mm -hmm. This is what he wants people to know. He's a God of compassion. He will not let mankind go. He will not let creation go. Mm -hmm. And so because he's such a God of fervent desire, Mm -hmm. of compassion. And so the cross is going to be the greatest declaration of who God is. Mm -hmm. He's a God that loves so desperately that he'll die for his creation Mm -hmm. rather than let it go. Mm -hmm. And so you can see this fervent desire, you know? Well, go ahead. Well, yeah, I was gonna say too, just the thought of this being the Passover and Jesus is anxious to celebrate this with them because there's so much he has to teach them before he goes to the cross. Mm -hmm. And this is the last Passover because he's instituting a new covenant, which we're gonna get to in a minute, but that's what's all based on him and all that work you were just talking about that he did at the cross, which ties straight into that last phrase of in the kingdom of God. Like you said, it's this whole big picture that he's come to redeem us because he wants us to be his bride and he has it prepared in heaven, the kingdom of God and the marriage supper of the lamb. door opening to the kingdom of yeah, God. Exactly. It hasn't been open, right? And it won't be open until Jesus uh, rises Jesus. from the dead. Mm-hmm. So the door has been closed, but he's been talking about it. Prepare, it's coming, it's here, yeah. but the door's not open. Right. But yeah. he's about to open the door mm-hmm. so that anyone who believes might have eternal life and enter into the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So he's so excited yes, to open the, the door. I mean, have you ever yeah. been like that, like, like at Christmas, like I'll hear like, Brian will go, I hear little voices. And we're like racing to the door to open it for our grandchildren to come in and you know, all the gifts. And you can almost see Jesus is just so excited to open the door. And I think that's what Hebrews is talking about, where it says he despised the shame, but for the joy that was set before him, the joy is I get to open the door. I get to open the door and people get to be redeemed and reconciled and cleansed and forgiven and and they get to see their father. You know, I mean, what an exciting time. And and from an earthly standpoint, it looked like the end. That's what's so interesting. You know what I mean? It's like, if you just look at it from earth and you're just reading this story, you're like, oh man, it's over. It's all, you know, coming down. But no, it's like, it's a a beginning. Mm -hmm. You have to see with the spiritual eyes. And this is what he's trying to, you know, he's been trying to prepare the disciples this entire time. I'm going to suffer. 
Mm-hmm. This is predicted. This is meant to be. I'm going to suffer. Yeah. Yeah. But there's eternal ramifications to this. And mm-hmm. then I love it. Like, I'm not going to, I'm the next time I eat, yeah. and you see him eating when he's um, in Luke chapter 24, but he yeah. says, the next time I eat, it's all accomplished. The next time I drink, it's all done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It will be like, I don't know. I just have these, because uh, we've been refurbishing our bathroom, you know. I'm just like, okay, in a week, it will be done. You know, I'll be able to take a bath in my own bathtub in a week. And, you know, that just this timetable, it's going to be done. The next time I see you, mm-hmm. it's going to be because it's accomplished and yeah. everyone can come in yeah. who wants to. The next time I eat, like I the next it's time. Exciting. Yes, yeah. so exciting, you know. So the next part of this that he's really excited to do with instituting this new covenant mm-hmm. is setting up the cup and the bread and how we're to commemorate that. Mm-hmm. And what I found really interesting is he commanded them to commemorate not his birth, not his life and all the miracles he did, all the healings, but he wants them to remember and commemorate his death mm-hmm. because that's the one thing that gives us life. That's right. So we kind of have to keep going here. Is there something you guys want to say on that? Or can we move to the Judas thing? I have just one quick thing about this is an institution of a new covenant. And that's so important because we're under a new covenant. And the whole book of Hebrews that we were just in um, stresses that this is a new covenant with better promises, um, with um, a better agreement. And a covenant is like a marriage Mm-hmm. So the, the Jews were to be married to God and the graven images were their adultery. Mm-hmm. But now we're in a better covenant based on, uh, based on um, a better act. God's mm-hmm. done it all. Right. Yeah. God is instituting it by his bread, yeah. um, by, sorry, his body and his blood. Uh, what we could not do for ourselves, God has initiated and done mm-hmm. For us. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. is so exciting to me. No, that's good. I mean, I just said something so on the yeah, Reformation, but we can move do, on. It's not um, that important. Takeaways? <laughs> what are your takeaways? So we see this part that, you know, Judas is going to be um, right. seen as the one who's going to betray him, but he does it in a way where he's saying that the hand of the betrayer is here. So he doesn't, you know, specifically point out Judas till the end. But yeah, which is any crazy takeaways? The disciples didn't seem to realize. Isn't that, it's just crazy how, mm-hmm. like, good Judas was at hiding this. Yeah. You know, it's just, man, that nobody even suspected him specifically. I want to go so. back to fervent desire but, because yeah. here is God's redeeming desire since, like I said, the fall. Um, and I think of fervent, his burning love to explain, mm-hmm. to save, to redeem, to reconcile, to invite into the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. And yeah. what was broken by sin is now mended by the blood and body of Jesus. And we can partake. I mean, actually becoming one with Jesus in this. And it was meant, just quickly, and it was meant to be, yeah, unifying, bringing us all in, which is so crazy because in church history, like more wars in the church were fought over communion, you know, really, than like in the Reformation and stuff. The the reason the reformers didn't unite was over communion and what it, you know, what it meant. Was it his real literal body and blood or was it symbolic? All of this stuff. And it's like, this was meant to be a unifying. And not only that, but Jesus humbling himself in this, you know, whole passage. It's like, wow, it's just amazing how man can take this so the wrong way, but it's supposed to be a fellowship where we enter in with him and one another. men get involved, right? Yes, exactly. We we always, we do that. We muck it up like Peter. (laughs) Let's build three tabernacles. You know, we just, it's a holy moment. You're like, you just ruined the holy moment, (laughs) you know? Exactly. So that's just what struck me, the contrast of what Jesus was really trying to do here. So. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, anyway, go ahead. Anything else? That's good. All right, let's move on to day three. So this is Luke 22, verses 24 through 30. And Jesus is teaching them the way his kingdom is versus the way the world's kingdom is. He Mm. says, whoever's the greatest among you, let him be as the younger, he who governs as him who serves. Mm. And Jesus says, I am among you as the one who serves. Mm. So let's comment on the attitude of the disciples during the sacred meal. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because this is exactly what we're studying in First Corinthians 1, mm-hmm. which is so funny because somebody just yeah. wrote Brian this letter and said, you're not teaching the Bible on Sunday mornings. It's like, we're in First Corinthians chapter 1. I mean, how more Bible can you get? Yeah. But that was, and again, you know, it's like the idea, like, I'm better than you because I'm a Peter, you know, and it's like, 
you're doing the very thing that we're teaching about. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they, they want to divide up mm-hmm. over who's the greatest, uh, this, this exaltation. And the cross puts us all on level ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's only one hero. Mm-hmm. There's only one savior. We all need Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but like you said earlier, it's like crazy how we can get it so wrong. Yes, that's what I was thinking on this. I'm like, man, there's this deep spiritual thing happening. I mean, this is a a fervent desire. There's this thing Jesus is doing here and they're so completely out of it. And I was just thinking in my own life, like, man, Lord, I don't want to miss those spiritual moments. Mm -hmm. This is such a silly example. I I go to sports and nobody can relate to me, but that's okay. I don't care because, okay, okay. This was, this happened years ago, but for some reason, I just, I always remember this as a regretting moment. Okay. You guys know I'm a diehard Seahawks fan. So I was at um, this place, stadium pizza. And I used to like watch the games with like random other people that would come in. We'd all watch it together and stuff. And there was this uh, time where this guy, Bruce, we're like just chatting during the game. And um, he starts actually talking about spiritual things. Like there's this other guy who's not even saved. They're talking about God. And this was a moment where I could have fully shared the gospel, but the Seahawks were about to score a touchdown. And I was just so into the game. I completely missed the moment. I know this is silly, but no, but there's things like that where we're just so in our zone. Mm -hmm. We miss a moment. And I remember after that, I regretted it. I was like, Lord, don't let that ever happen again. I know that was so stupid. But okay, you guys can figure out some other thing that's more girly that relates. But well, that was you know, for me I've like, one like a that moment that like that where I just missed the moment. Yeah. I've got one like that. It was my daughter, Kristen, called and said, I'm in labor, I'm heading for the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I jump up. It's like four o'clock in the morning. Brian's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, my daughter's about to have a baby. I need to go to the hospital. And he's like, you don't need to go. They'll call us when the baby's born. And I'm like, I am mother. Yeah. <laughs> we got in this huge fight. It's going to be the holiest, most precious right. moment. And we're not even like, we, I'm so <laughs> spitting mad at him. I just want to take him down. And he's like, what are you going to do at the hospital? And I go, I don't know, maybe praying tongues, going up and down the yeah. hallway. But I am needed. I am mother. So we're not speaking to each other. We drive silently to the hospital. This should be like, we're going to have a great child. We should be like kissing, hugging, telling each other how our whole marriage has been worth it for this moment. And instead, we're just like, I want, you know. So we get to the hospital and I said, go see how she's doing. He goes, you go see how she's doing. And I said, no, because I get intimidated by doctors and you don't. So he goes and he comes back and he's white as a ghost. And he goes, she needs her mother. I just said, mm-hmm. And I went and she did. She needed me. And I tell the doctor, she's in transition. She's about to have this baby. And the doctor's like, uh-huh. He's going to go check on another patient. I'm like, don't leave her. She's in transition. I know this girl. And he's like, mm-hmm. And then I said to the nurse, who is a Christian, I'm like, thank God you're here. She's in transition. I know my daughter. So she, she's like, she's crowning. And the doctor's Aww. like, oh. He comes back in. And he looks at me and goes, Sorry. Men. <laughs> so anyway, but I know it's like I wanted it to be the holy moment. Mm, and yeah. I think about so many moments that we spoil. I mean, I could have been nice yeah. and said, Brian, a mother is needed. But no. Yeah. I mean, it was not pretty. It was not holy. It was, <laughs> I said some unholy things. Aww, <laughs> and he said unholy things back. But this it's is, like one of those yeah, moments. Yeah, And this totally. is the encouraging thing about these are men who were close to Jesus for three years. Yeah. They've been following yeah. him, learning from him, and they still haven't learned this lesson of the humility that Jesus wants to teach them. Mm-hmm. And I, one of my favorite phrases is mm-hmm. on the contrary. Mm. I just love that phrase, on the contrary. Like mm. this is how the world does it. Yeah. But you're to be contrary to You're no, supposed to be the... Gentile leaders were lording it over, but the disciples are to be humble. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus sets this example of humility, which is incredible. Oh, so do you have any God. takeaways from this day? I, 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 uh, go ahead. You, the, 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 oh, I, do. Um, I just love that, that Jesus led by example by doing something. And I know, mm, you know Char mentioned on Sunday about how he did the low, below the lowest of jobs that nobody would ever do about washing, you know, washing feet and stuff like that. But I just love that, I don't know, I just feel, I think I talk about this all the time because I feel, feel like it more and more because of social media, everyone just talks all the time. Nobody does anything. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus did it. 
he went, he's like, I will actually serve. I'm not just gonna tell you what service looks like or whatever. Right. I'm gonna go do something. And I just appreciate the action. And this mm-hmm. would have been where John 13 would mm-hmm. have happened right at this moment that Jesus would have gotten up from the meal. Right. And, and probably in reaction to this, mm-hmm. laid aside his garments, mm-hmm. girded himself with a towel, mm-hmm. gotten the water basin and begun uh, began to yeah, wash right. the disciples' feet. And I think we lose something in our culture because we don't realize how incredibly humbling this is. Like, right. I was trying to think of an example in modern day to show like this was, like you said, taking on the lowest of the low. This is something that the master, a rabbi, would never do the low servant's work. And he is humbling himself in every way by taking off his robe, like you said, by putting on that loincloth and not only um, filling a basin with water, but washing their feet, not just like wiping off their feet or whatever. And, and, you know, we forget they're wearing their sandals. And I read one commentator that said, like, all of these disciples probably should have done this for each other. Because if this is like their group gathering, they probably didn't have someone else there that could have done it. But one should have done it for another. And so mm. maybe the disciples, like you see them arguing, were but too prideful even, to do it for but themselves. it wouldn't even yeah. come into their mind to do it. I think that's the idea, like, oh, they should have. They wouldn't, it wouldn't even come into their so mind. Humbling. Right. Yeah. It was so humbling. It was something that the lowest servant would do. So the lowest. Hum- it's like um, when you read in China, and, you yeah. read about these coolies, and they were the ones that would take the chamber pot and mm-hmm. empty the chamber pot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was like emptying the chamber pot. It was reserved for the lowest of low because remember, there's no sewage. Mm -hmm. Um, So sewage was dumped out into the streets. So the feet would have, and the feet would be callous. They'd be blistered. They might have fungus. They would have the debris of of animals as well as people. It was, you wouldn't think of anyone doing that for you unless Mm -hmm. it was the lowest of low, somebody who couldn't get a job anywhere Mm -hmm. else, you know, Usually it was the, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that day, the special needs people that would do that job, the people mm-hmm. that couldn't do anything else. Yeah. So the idea that the greatest among you would get down and yeah. take mm-hmm. on this, this is why Peter's like, this, this, this is not right. This, this yeah. is not right. Yeah. But I, I thought about mm-hmm. what Jesus is saying. It's not about how enriched I can become but how much I can enrich others. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people come to church thinking, how can I be enriched? What will I get out of the message? What will I get Mm -hmm. out of the worship? And we measure churches and even services by how enriched will I leave? Mm -hmm. And I remember meeting Brian and he, like we're about to go to church together and he's like, oh, first let's pray. And so he Mm -hmm. takes my hands and we pray and he's like, Lord, show us how we can enrich others today at church. Show us the person that needs ministry. Show us how we could take the truths that we learn and and give them out. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'd never thought Mm -hmm. of going to church in order to enrich. And especially as being somebody, you know, so to speak, in the audience. You know, I went there to, you know, be enriched by my father's teaching or enriched by... Mm -hmm. um, the hymns that we sang are enriched in a way, but Jesus is saying, I want you to go, and you know, years ago, this is another example, years ago I was getting my hair done, and I'm pregnant, and the lady goes, oh, is this your first? And I'm like, no, this is my fourth. (gasps) (laughs) Seriously, I'm like, oh Lord, save my hair. And she said, oh, I, I just, the idea of bringing a child into this world, I mean, like, I'm just thinking I don't have enough money because I want them to wear designer clothes and I want them to have the best education and all this stuff. And I said, well, I'm actually a Jesus follower because I feel like that's kind of mm-hmm. better than saying to Christians sometimes. I said, I'm actually a Jesus follower. And I said, I've prayed over each one of my children that they would enrich this world in some mm-hmm. way. Like I said, I want them to join the Peace Corps or I want them to bring joy and I want them to be of service to others Mm -hmm. and so I'm praying for this child that he'll be of service to others that God will use his life to enrich the lives of others and she's like I never even thought about that I I mean that's like not even the concept and I said and I'm pretty much praying that they never wear designer clothes I just throwing that out there (laughs) because I want them to be more about helping and enriching the lives of others. And that's what Jesus is saying. It's not about how much can I acquire, but how much can I give? Yeah. Yeah. And the promotion is not now, it's later. And the promotion 
is based on how much I give away on earth. As he says to the rich young ruler, he says, you know, take all your wealth, sell all your possessions, give to the poor and come follow me and you'll have unbelievable treasures in heaven. Mm -hmm. There's a woman who goes to this church and right now she has to watch online and if she's watching um, Geneva, you know who you are. And Geneva and Ted are older now and they're into how much more can we do for the kingdom of heaven? Mm -hmm. And she has this little group that she meets with and she says, look, we're all getting up in age. What are you doing for the kingdom of heaven? What are you doing to enrich um, what happens when you get to heaven? Mm -hmm. And we so little think about, are we storing up treasures in heaven? There's an eternal perspective. And sometimes I feel like God has blessed me in so many ways. And we're going through some things right Mm -hmm. now, you know, some people slandering us and stuff. But I'm thinking, wow, Lord, this is my opportunity to have treasures in heaven. Mm-hmm. Do we ever think about the trial as, oh, yeah. thank God there's going to be treasure. Because right? mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes if we have the best on earth, will there be any treasure in heaven? True. You know? know. Okay, well, my takeaway, too, is just that um, when we're an example in those small, that seemingly insignificant ways, like God calls us to do that. And if we just keep being faithful in those little things, we're showing his love to the world. Right. And that blesses him and pleases him. And it's by the distinction. Mm-hmm. It's it by, distinction. this is so different than how the world does. Yeah. It's by the contrary. Mm-hmm. Any other before um, we move? Just one other thought yeah. on just Jesus' grace with the disciples. How, you know, here they are arguing about this. And he should have yes. said like, shut up. But he was just like, yeah. you know, someday you will be judging the twelve. I was like, don't bless them. But I was thinking, and I don't know, this was just my thought, is that, you know, Jesus knew what they would, what they would become. He could see the potential in them and where they would be ultimately, obviously, that, that he was able to say, to say that, like, oh, you guys don't get it now. You will get it. And, you know, there's but a blessing in store. they couldn't get it. They couldn't yet. And, and he, he knew, knew they couldn't get it yeah, until the doors open. Exactly. Until the Holy Spirit is in them and on them, they will exactly. not get it. But because, you're right, his patience. Yeah, I just geez. love the patience and of was, Jesus. Yeah, and it, it was a reminder to me like, to see people with the eye of faith and not be so impatient with them. And like, speaking okay, of patience, now, but... it's definitely day four, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. This is, oh, like, patience. this is one of nice Angie, my favorite days. Yes, yeah. So we're looking at verses 31 through 38, and we're seeing the prayer of Jesus, how mm. he prayed for them, that their mm. faith wouldn't fail. And this is him reaching out Mm. to Simon Peter. And okay, so we've got, I liked your alliteration here, grasp Peter's plight, peril, and potential. So in these phrases, in Jesus' prayer to Peter, what stood out to you? Again, the name twice. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. is, if if your name's repeated twice, it means like, you better listen. This is Mm -hmm. of the utmost Mm -hmm. importance. And it's directed to you. So it's so Mm -hmm. personal, but it's so authoritative like yeah. this is my word which is interesting because Peter's like no Lord it, I, I, you've got me wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like can you imagine when oh Jesus gosh, convicts you yeah. of sin and you're like no no that's not how it went down it's let me tell me. you yeah. Yeah. yeah and the Lord knows our nature mm-hmm. better than we know our own nature but True. Simon Simon and I was reading this week again in first Samuel where God is calling Samuel and he says Samuel mm-hmm. Samuel and I just love the fact that God knows my name yeah. and he knows my nature and he knows exactly what I have need of. He mm-hmm. sees what I can't see. My parents used to pray for me every single day before school um, and protector from danger seen and unseen. Mm-hmm. And we forget that there's a spiritual realm right. out there right. and he is saying there's an unseen danger out there. And it's mm-hmm. Satan has asked for you by name. Even as Jesus, and I, I think this is very yeah. important. Satan has said, let me have Simon. But Jesus says, Simon, Simon, he's mine. You see, Jesus is laying claim by repeating his name twice. Mm. He's laying claim, this is mine. And so that anything that Satan throws at you will only improve you and make you a better servant, make you a better minister of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Lord does. He doesn't keep us from that hour, but he takes whatever Satan means for evil and says, I will use this in your life purposely and purposefully. So it was almost like, yeah, I was thinking about that too, because there's such a, again, throughout this, I feel like there's the physical thing that the disciples are seeing, but there's this spiritual way deeper thing going on underneath. Even the fact that 
Satan is asking for him by names. Peter doesn't know that. You know, he has no idea what's going on there. But like you said, because Jesus is going to walk him through this, that your faith should not fail. It's not that I've prayed for you to get out of this. It's I prayed for you that you'll walk through it. I'll walk through it with you. I will intercede for you all the way through this. And it was almost like Peter had to falter so that he wouldn't ultimately fail, so that he would ultimately be able to be the rock he needed to be. Don't you think too, sometimes we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes? And then in this, you see that he did learn things because Mm. he writes the books of first and second Peter. And I love this part about that your faith should not fail. And it's because faith is precious. And we see that he learned that because in 1 Peter, he refers to faith as being precious. And he writes that the genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold, Hmm. even though it's tested by by the fire. And so here, his was tested by the fire. But if faith is not tested, goes untested, it never is purified. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because what you're saying, see, Satan said, I'm going to make you look like chaff and you're just going to blow away. But the Lord is saying, I'm going to bring wheat. Mm-hmm. This whole thing is going to make you wheat yeah. and cause growth in others. Mm-hmm. Just like the testing of your faith is going to become genuine. It's going to get rid of the chaff. Exactly. It's going to get rid of the dross. Yep. And um, I love that. But mm-hmm. I also love too that when Jesus prays, he prays exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. And he knew the need of the hour. Like Peter did not need more strength. I was thinking like Peter looking on at this, mm-hmm. like how would you, often we're praying like, God, give me strength. Get me boldness, give me. That's not what Peter needed. Peter needed faith. And when Jesus intercedes for us, like it tells us about the Holy Spirit, that he prays for us exactly what we need. And we don't know what we need. Uh, Romans chapter eight, we don't always know what we need. But the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings and words that cannot even be uttered, knowing exactly what the need is. And the need was faith. That's interesting. And two, Peter needed to be broken because he was still so self-reliant. And that is not what you would pray for somebody. You're right. You'd be like, Lord, like you said, strengthen them, give them courage. And it's like, well, he actually needed to be broken because he was a little too confident in himself and bold. So, And isn't that Mm -hmm. interesting that our self-confidence can actually be um, the worst thing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It can be the worst thing. And we're always like, give me more confidence when I witness. Give me more confidence. No. And I... And two, I think it's so good to define what faith is because we have these words that we throw around like grace and faith and they're not often defined. But faith is to trust God and entrust to God. And um, Peter needed to trust God more than Peter. Mm -hmm. He needed to trust Jesus that even though Jesus was on the cross dying, Mm -hmm. He was doing something and something was being accomplished and not trust what he saw, not trust how he felt, Mm -hmm. not trust in his own strength or his resolve or his might. He needed to trust in Jesus Mm -hmm. and he needed to entrust his life, the future to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, and so precious that he is praying. Jesus is praying for him. Absolutely. And something I Mm -hmm. always encourage people is to pray out loud for one another when you have a need because Mm -hmm. it builds your faith when you see how the faith they have to pray. And we see this, that Jesus is praying when you have returned to me. Yes. And so his faith is being built that he's not going to be destroyed. He's going to get through this. It's not an if you return to me, it's a win. And don't you think that's something that must have played through his mind? I mean, Mm -hmm. because after his third denial of Jesus, we're told that he weeps. Mm -hmm. And so after denying Jesus three times, he weeps. And that's not until next week. But I'm thinking that he would remember that Jesus said when. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's hope. When, because Judas is going to hang himself, and we won't get into that in our text, but Judas will hang himself. (laughs) But Peter's strength, Peter will be strengthened through his failure, Mm -hmm. and he will go on to strengthen his his brethren, because he says, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And that's something interesting, just Mm -hmm. real quick, in 1 Peter chapter Mm 5, when he talks about the devil goes about as a roaring lion mm-hmm. seeking whom he can um, devour. But he says, but after you have been tested, mm-hmm. you know, strengthen your brother. Yeah. You will be established. You will be a strengthening agent. And I think he's giving his own testimony. Yeah. I know what well, it is. Like what you're saying, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, actually kind of on that with his denial and everything. I just think like, it's so cool that right here from the beginning in the gospels, we have 
God redeeming the, the worst, I mean, you know, Peter had no excuse for denying Jesus three times, really. But right. the fact that God redeemed him even in that is such a, you know, a testimony and a hope for anybody who's gone through it. And it reminded me of... Um, and we'll get to that too on the very last day oh, right, right, of, yeah. of this. We're yeah. going to get to the redemption of Peter, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And, and it reminded me of um, John Newton. I know a lot of people know the story about how he wrote Amazing Grace and he had been a slave trader and, you know, done all these horrific things, you know, beat, abused, raped the women, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he gets saved. And so we think, oh yeah, no wonder he wrote Amazing Grace. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is that he actually backslid after he got saved. It happened again. He like went back into the slave trade and then fully came back to the Lord. And I just think that's almost like a Peter thing. Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I actually knew better and I still, that's it. So he knew amazing yeah. grace, and God's redemption. And that's the Lord teaching us not to trust our own nature. So. Yes. And you don't know best. I don't know best. God knows best. God knows the future. God knows that spiritual arena that's against Mm -hmm. us and we don't know. And when we're like, I'm strong and I'm no better, that's when we're in so much trouble. Mm -hmm. Um, I did want to just hit question three because I think this is so important because he is again talking to them figuratively Mm -hmm. about he's going to be reckoned with the transgressors. Mm -hmm. And so he's really quoting from Isaiah 53, and that's why he's saying two swords. He's saying, you're going to look like rebels. You know, he has a sword, get another sword. And they're like, we've got two. And like, they're like, they're still not getting they're it. Earthly, because yeah. what he's trying to say is I'm about, you're about to look like rebels yeah. being my followers. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be, because they've just been saying, can I sit on your throne? Mm-hmm. And he's going to say, other than looking like kingship. Right you're going to look like criminals. Yeah. And so that's what he's preparing so them for. This, preparation. This, it's preparation. preparation for the hard things. And so that leads yeah. us straight into day five, and we see Jesus coming into the garden. And I titled this mm. day, Agony in the Garden. Yeah. And we see that Jesus was accustomed to going up and praying. And so now he brings his disciples in to pray with him. And we're going to look at some of these things. So, you know, where did they go? What were they instructed to do? And where was Jesus in this time? One of my favorite things is this is like one of his favorite places. Mm -hmm. Isn't that like he had a favorite place in Jerusalem to meet with God? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think I have favorite places even in my house to read my Bible and to meet with God. I have favorite little prayer places. Mm -hmm. And I have favorite places, like there's a place at the beach that I like Mm -hmm. to go. And when I'm really depressed um, or when I'm oppressed, I like to go and just meet with the Lord. And I love that Jesus had favorite places. And one of the other gospels was saying too, like he would teach in the synagogue during the day and then he would go there at night. And so this was like a pattern. This was a regular thing. Mm -hmm. Like that scripture says, as he was accustomed to do. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, like Judas would have known exactly where to find find him him. because this was his pattern. This is what he did. But Mm -hmm. also we know exactly where to find Jesus. (laughs) That Jesus has made it so we can find him in the mm-hmm. word. We can, and I have favorite That's passages good. that I, I feel like it's like going to my favorite restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like I've been here before and yeah. I've got memories of these passages. Mm-hmm. I've got things that the Lord has spoken to me. There's a scripture in Matthew that said every person who is instructed in the word of God is like a homeowner that goes up into his attic and pulls out old treasures and new treasures. Mm-hmm. And That's so you've, we've got these places yes. and these conversation pieces and we can find Jesus mm-hmm. because he's going to be at that place. And isn't it sad that Judas, we, we see in this that Judas takes things that should be precious and yes. uses it against the Lord. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. it's a precious thing that we can find the Lord. Mm-hmm. But to take that and to turn it against, but yeah. yeah. Um, I love that this is his favorite place. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I was obviously, I think everybody probably is really struck by his prayer, you yes, know, not yes. my will, but yours be done. I was yeah. thinking, God, I was thinking, gosh, this is the most important prayer in history, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, when that, that moment, I mean, I don't know. And I think in my mind, this is the most important prayer because it's just like, okay, at this point I'm saying not my will, but yours. Right. And I will do this, you know, and it was, you know, Jesus knew this was already ordained and planned and everything, but in that moment, he's like, okay, and then, I'm going to walk in this. Yeah, and there's a couple things, I mean, when there's certain things, like the word knelt down actually means fall Prostrate. down. Yeah. Just, it, mm-hmm. He fell down. Yeah. 
And so he's under this burden. And mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan Edwards said that at this moment, God lets him see everything he's taking on. Yeah. What yeah. it will feel like right. to take all the sin, all those things that Jesus just despised, mm -hmm. everything that hurts and harms. And mm -hmm. remember how he roared um, at Lazarus' death. Mm -hmm. Everything that causes death, all the cause of sin, all that. Remember how he said it's better than a millstone be tied around your neck than you should offend one of these. He's going to have the millstone tied around his mm -hmm. neck. Yeah. He's going to take the, everything that sin deserves right. on his own body and die for everything he absolutely hates and despises. Right. He's going to die for that and for that cause. And so he's feeling the heaviness of this mm -hmm. and he can't even, the weight is so much that he just falls on the ground. But I believe even in this prayer, he is showing us how to pray. Mm -hmm. He is showing us that there is no other way of salvation. Yeah. This is it. Yeah. This is the only way. And had he not said this, we might say, well, if we're good enough, mm -hmm. We might get there, but it's showing us this is how bad our sins are. Yeah. This is how evil sin is. And we tend to like, oh, sin, did I just sin? Just uh -uh. You know, yeah. we're like, oh, about yeah. sin. And this mm -hmm. is showing us that our sins are much worse than right. we realize or we reckon with. So much that he's falling down under the weight, so much that he's agonizing, mm -hmm. so much that his his sweat drops become blood mm -hmm. because yeah. of that. And I know there's a word for, for this uh, mm -hmm. disorder and it has to do Hema with tremendous, something. yes, yeah. so much stress yeah. because we don't realize how bad our sins right. are, how evil our sins are, mm -hmm. that we could burn in hell for eternity and not atone for our sins. Yeah. That's yeah. how bad they and are. that's what Jesus is doing here by taking the cup. The cup is a symbol of right. God's judgment. The wrath. And so in the Old Testament, right, the cup of trembling or the right. cup of wrath. And the wrath is not against Jesus. Mm -hmm. The wrath is against sin. sin. Yeah. Which and we don't Jesus, We deserve that wrath, right. Yeah. right? And Jesus willingly takes the cup yes. that we deserve. Because right. there's this wrong doctrine that says that Jesus, that God was pouring out his wrath on Jesus. God was pouring out his wrath on sin. Mm -hmm. And I like to think of it as a mother hen, right? Mm -hmm. That we've heard this thing that gathers the chicks under her and she takes the fire. Uh -huh, right. And there's actually a story. I mean, it's this farmer came to Tim Keller mm -hmm. and said, I'm a farmer and my uh, something burned down. And he said, the mother hen, he said, I, I kicked her over because this fire had come through and all these baby chicks were alive. Aww. And what Jesus did is he took right. the fire of the wrath. Again, the Passover lamb, remember? Mm -hmm. The Passover is coming over. The judgment of mm -hmm. God is coming over Israel. And only those who are in the house with the, the emblem of blood, right. the blood of the lamb that looks like a cross, that's all that can save them. And so Jesus took the wrath of God. Mm -hmm. He takes anyone who comes under and says, you're safe from this wrath. Mm -hmm. But the wrath is not poured out on Jesus. It's poured out against sin. Mm -hmm. But Jesus stands um, in the gap. No, no. And, and I had a thought on... In um, the threshold of the door, so to speak. So yes. um, I had a thought on like the agony that he went through as well. And because I looked that, that up and it was interesting. That's the only, the word agonia right there. It's the only place that that word is used in the New Testament. And another yeah. definition for that is uh, a struggle for victory. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. Because the agony that he was going through, really this was the struggle. And you know, I, I think I've, you might've heard that before said that this was really where the battle was won here. It was in the garden. Exactly. You know, this was where the decision was made your will be done. Exactly. I'm going to just walk through this and take this cup. Mm -hmm. That was where the victory was won before he even went to the cross. It was in this moment. And I just thought, wow, that is just so cool. What a you know, profound word choice that was and what that really implied. And Tim Keller says the cup was revealed to Christ in all its ugliness and its separation that Jesus would get what men deserve for their sin. Mm -hmm. He who was perfect and sinless yeah. would get what our sin deserved. And it was a terrible scourge that he would pay. Um, yet, it's one thing to accidentally take a cup. Right. But it's another thing to know everything that's right. involved in mm -hmm. that and go forward. Mm -hmm. You know, I when I had major surgery, I remember being so happy that I didn't know 
what would be involved in the recovery. Because okay. I'm not sure I would have done it, mm-hmm. um, even though I needed it. It was life or death. But I think he knew everything involved yeah. in that cup. So we see the love of Christ mm-hmm. for us even more. Mm-hmm. And his love for his father and his love for us. Because he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way. Right. And the Lord, obviously there's not. This is why the angel comes and ministers to him. Yeah. The, the angel doesn't take it away. And I think so many times that we want God to take it away. Mm-hmm. But God says, no, I, I want to use this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, and that was one of my takeaways, how he is telling his disciples, arise, sleeper. He is so compassionate on them. He recognizes mm-hmm. that this is a spiritual battle, that it's a fight to pray. And yet he's choosing to pray, but yet he's still compassionate on them because of their weakness in it. And what a battle, a spiritual battle to be protected from the enemy. And so he's praying for them, but also just compassionate towards them in their mm-hmm. weakness in prayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it showed their insufficiency. Like uh-huh. they weren't even supposed to be part of this, what Jesus did. And that's, it was only him. Yeah. I have this True. interesting story because this friend of mine came to me and she's a model. And she said, she's in this room with all these models and these women start talking about, these older models start talking about how to be demon possessed and how to invite the demons into you. And my friend can't believe this is going on. And she goes into a corner to pray and she falls asleep. And she feels all guilt-ridden because she slept. And these young models are like, oh, really? I can be, and I mean, these older models are promising them everything if they'll just receive the demons into them. And they're, they're saying demons, everything. And my friend is just like, She's the only Christian in the room, and she doesn't know what to do. So she goes in the corner, and like I said, she falls asleep. And I said, because it wasn't your battle. Because this is a battle only Jesus can fight, just like in the garden. The disciples go to sleep because Jesus alone is the Savior. Jesus alone is the one who can take on Satan and sin. It was not the disciples' battle. They were only to pray. And I said, you did what you're supposed to. And I said... Jesus didn't want you involved. And she said, interestingly enough, after they left, those girls are asking her all about it. And she's, the younger girls, and she's like, those were demons. She goes, and the girls are like, we felt like this is weird. We don't want this, but we didn't know what to say. She got a chance to totally share the gospel, pray over them, pray for them, pray Jesus in them. She said it was, and I said, see, this is not your battle. This is Jesus' battle. Amen. Any other takeaways? Uh, just my last, my last thought was, you know, because that prayer, not my will but yours be done, you know, obviously that's such a critical prayer. And like you were saying mm-hmm. that Jesus was an example to us. And I was like, man, that's probably the most important prayer we can pray in every situation in our lives. Yeah. Not my will but yours be done. I mean, that surrender, that's just, yeah, that's just so critical. Good. It's so essential. So I have a Guzik quote that's right along that. Mm. The first... What? Sinless man, Adam, battled Satan (laughs) in a garden and lost by choosing my will be done. But Mm. the second sinless man, Jesus, battled Satan, sin, and self in the garden, and he won by saying, not my will be done, but yours be done. So good. Give it to you. I can't read yours. you shared it. Yeah, David Guzik, that was so good. And yes. All right, Mm. let's move on to day six. Verses 47 through 51. And so while this amazing sacred prayer time and Mm. conversation, all of this is happening, then this is when the enemy comes in and this crowd of soldiers, another gospel says there was a crowd of soldiers and a mob comes in Mm. to arrest Jesus. So we're Mm. gonna talk about this arrest in the garden. And mob is the right word. And mob signifies that they were armed. So the, the Greek word, that speaks of you know multitude or mob oh, okay. actually means they're armed. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, you which know, in the book of um, John it said that it included a garrison of Roman soldiers. Mm-hmm. So that would be armed soldiers. Yeah. As well, well as also the temple guards too. Interesting. They come armed, and so they've got torches and clubs, and they've got swords and they've got bindings. Mm-hmm. They've come to bind wow. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's just talk about the events, what happened here, this interaction between Judas and Jesus. I just think that evil men take virtue and they use it as a vice. And so a kiss which should show affection and love and loyalty, he uses it to betray. And Mm -hmm. I was reminded of during the 60s, um, everyone was warned not to be a good Samaritan Hmm. because there were these people that would pull over their car and put the hood up 
and actually Bonnie and Clyde did this too, yeah, and act like they were stranded and then steal the car mm -hmm. and beat up or, or murder the person yeah. who pulled over to be a good Samaritan. And so they would take people's um, virtues yeah. mm -hmm. kindness, and yeah. use it as a vice. And this is what Judas does. This is what evil does. Right. It takes a virtue of a kiss mm -hmm. and uses it for evil. And you see here that his conscience is seared. He's mm -hmm. got this hard heart towards the Lord. Yeah, do you think this was maybe, I don't know, I was wondering, do you think this was his last chance? Like Jesus saying, you're gonna betray me? Like, I don't know. Do you think it was almost like a last chance? Like Judas, I don't I know. Think, or do you think he already had given him that in the upper I think, room? Yeah, I think that he's afforded every opportunity. Yeah, yeah. But I think but, at yeah. this point, things are it's already gone. in action. Yeah. And this mm -hmm. is what I also think. This was the crowning moment of Judas' life. This was when Judas was important. Sad. This is yeah. like the day that he's super important. Mm -hmm. He's followed Jesus. He's ambitious. He's stealing from the money bag. And now he's important. He's mm -hmm. got the chief priest. He's, yeah. got the, he's got the, he's in charge of the Romans. They don't know how to identify Jesus. They don't know the place where Jesus right. meets. So he's in they charge. He's the leader. Mm -hmm. They're all following Jesus. He's got, I mean, sorry, Judas. He's got his mm -hmm. power. This is his power yeah. moment. And, I, one time as I was reading this, it, it came to me that everybody has that opportunity mm -hmm. of, because he says, this is your moment, really. He said, this is yeah. your hour mm -hmm. and the hour of the power of darkness. This is your moment. Mm -hmm. And that all of us have a moment, a moment of kind of exaltation, a moment. And what are we going to do with that moment? Interesting. Are we going to mm -hmm. take for ourselves or are we going to glorify Jesus? Jesus' moment. He says, not my will, but yours yeah. be done. Here's Judas' moment, and yeah. he betrays. Yeah. He betrays. Yeah. He uses well, his moment. And we see Jesus setting up that scene of him humbling himself and washing the disciples' feet, mm -hmm. and then also submitting himself to the authority of the Father. I mean, mm -hmm. just complete humility. And that's the exact opposite of what we're seeing in Judas yeah. here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think my big takeaway, because I don't know, I suppose yeah. you're probably trying to... No, but from, from all of this was, it reminded me actually of what we just covered in Jonah. And um, I've just been thinking about this a lot lately, how the Lord always asks a pertinent question to expose mm -hmm. what's really going on. And there's even a couple of those here. You're betraying the son of man with a kiss. Like, wow, look what you're doing, Judas. And then to these guys uh, that come in the mob, you've come to me like I'm a robber with club. And New, and New right. Living says, uh, am I some dangerous revolutionary? You know, or, or why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I mean, these are all exposing what's really going on here. And just, I don't know, I've been praying that even in my own life, Lord, ask me the question that'll, that'll open my eyes to what's, you know, what I need to know, so what good. I need for, for direction, for so clarity. Good. Like ask those pointed questions, Lord. Sometimes you're like, I don't want a pointed question, but it's so good <laughs> what yeah. he brings out. I, I think about the confusion though. I mean, one moment they're praying. Oh gosh. Yeah. And they're in this place that they've gone before. It's supposedly a protected place. And again, like we said, it's a garden. Right. Um, because, you know, I've talked to women before and they're like, I met my husband at church and turned out to be totally a predator. And it's like, yeah, Satan goes to church. Um, <laughs> and that's, mm -hmm. Satan came into the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. And so what we see again is Satan comes into the garden, yeah. this place that should be protected. And I think the disciples probably felt safer in this place than ever. And it's interesting because Oswald Chambers once said, that prayer is the battleground. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, so did um, Mary Slessor. She said prayer is the battleground mm -hmm. and it's where the war is won. Mm -hmm. And so the work. enemy comes to the battleground. Yeah, wow. And so here's the battleground. And of course, Peter wants to fight physically. Mm -hmm. And I think as Christians, this is a problem because we often want to fight physically. Mm -hmm. And when we fight physically, we strike the wrong people. Yeah. We do... We do little damage. We just become obnoxious. And yeah. what he does is he cuts off the servant's ear, which what happened to is by cutting off the servant's ear, had Jesus not healed that servant, Peter also would have been bound and arrested. Oh, right. Mm. So what he does is he's saving Peter. And remember, he says, let these go the, their way. Um, we'll get to that in um, John chapter 18. He says, let these go their way. He yeah. protects the yeah. disciples. And by healing the servant's ear, he's actually protecting Peter. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, Peter, this isn't the way to fight. Yeah. Yeah. In another gospel, he says, permit it to be. Mm -hmm. Like, leave this alone. This is all meant to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that like, when we're fighting for Jesus, we're like, we're treating Jesus like he's the weakling. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Like, I got this. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll protect you. And Jesus yeah. is like, what are you doing? I fight for you. Yeah. I'm fighting for you. I'm saying, leave her alone. Mm-hmm. I'm getting in front of you and I'm protecting you. And whenever we try to fight for Jesus, I think we do more damage. Mm-hmm. That's like the story of church history. It's like yes. anytime the church, like Alexander McLaren said that, whenever the church takes up the sword, they don't know how to use it. That's like right. you just don't do um, it right. We're not it's a saying, mess. <laughs> I'm saying stand up, stand up for Jesus. Mm-hmm. You, you, you soldiers of the cross. But the way to stand up for Jesus is to associate with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not to like fight for your own life. It's to say my life is hidden in Christ. Mm-hmm. It goes back to not my will, but yours be yeah. done. And um, Betty and John Stamm, yeah. like yeah. their willingness to die for Jesus Christ and let it be known. Um, two people yeah. stepped out of those watching and said, kill me too. I want to die yeah. for Jesus. I yeah. want to die that same way. Yeah. And so many times we think the sword is the way. But Jesus mm-hmm. in another gospel will say to Peter, put away your sword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Permit this to be so. And then he'll say, he who takes up the sword will die by the mm-hmm. sword. And so many times the Lord has spoken to me, Cheryl, do you really want that sword? Because yeah. you pick up that sword, you'll die by that sword. Yeah. Do you want to pick up the sword of slander because you'll die by slander? Do you want to pick up the sword of lying? You'll die by lying. Do you want to pick up the sword of suing someone because you'll die by being sued by someone? Do you want to pick up the sword, you know, of confronting and telling that person because you'll die by confrontation? Do you want to pick up that sword? Do you want to, do you want to pick up the sword of rioting? You'll die by rioting. And, you know, what is the sword. The sword is man's way of dealing with the uh, yeah. problem. Well, we see Peter cut off the right ear, which most likely he was right-handed, so he probably was attacking him from behind. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also dark, and they've got True the torches, trail. and so he's probably, and and I just he's woke just up. wildly doing this, right? Yeah. He woke up, all of a sudden there's torches, yeah. there's a, com- uh, a commotion, and yeah. I think he's just swinging That's wildly, true. and while he's swinging wildly, he cuts off the servant's mm-hmm. ear. I think yeah. it was just like, so, you know, I got my sword. what I would do yeah. with a sword. Yeah. I know. Just like, so yeah. we have to fight spiritual battles yes. spiritually with prayer. Yes. Amen. So yes. we're out of time. Did you have any other thoughts or should I just let you close in prayer? I've got mm-hmm. one other thought mm-hmm. and that's on the power of darkness. Mm-hmm. And God gives darkness an hour mm-hmm. because light has eternity. Mm-hmm. and That's sometimes there will be an hour of darkness in my life. And I love that God sets a time limit on darkness. Mm. You've got one hour to do your worst. And what you see through the Bible is even like with Elijah, mm-hmm. he gives the prophets of Baal a time limit. Yeah. And then Elijah says, Lord, fire, thank you. And it, you know, it comes down, consumes everything. So darkness only has one hour. That's mm. good. And I think that we need to realize that God has put limits uh-huh. on darkness on mm-hmm. time limits, power limits, and territory limits. Yeah, extent. Yeah. And yeah. so we need to remember that when we're dealing with it. And he does give them an hour to do their worst. Mm-hmm. And then God comes in with his, his best. So they're going to have this hour to crucify, to, to mock, to ridicule, to accuse, mm-hmm. to uh, flog, to beat, to crucify Jesus. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus That's is going to go, okay, time's up my hour yeah. yeah and isn't that just wonderful yeah. that darkness has a time limit well, yeah, so and then the light will shine that much brighter mm-hmm. when it comes i love that excellent yeah. all right such a great discussion there's so much here and next week we're going to be looking at john chapter 18 moving into that part of the story so if you want to we kind of found it fun to look at the other gospels too and see how the little extra details that they bring out which john i think has a ton of details yeah so much so three more weeks we'll be back here again the next three fridays i hope you can join us so cheryl would you mind closing i wanted to so badly you could tell (laughs) because lord father i want to know jesus I don't want this to just be reading. I want this to be so personal for me, for each of us. We want to see you. We want to understand. We want to enter in. We want to be there. And we want to appreciate. We want these truths to hit our heart and our mind and to change the way we think, the way we 
our perspective on everything. Lord, we want to be revolutionized by what you have done. We want to take the bread. We want to take the cup. We want to be all in. And we want to see. I want these truths to be so mine, to be so all of ours, so that we talk about the crucifixion with compassion, with joy, with purpose that we not see you as a victim, but as the great, great victor who said they're worth it. I love each one of them. We want to hear you call our name and say it with authority. We want to be all in and know that the darkness cannot overcome us. But as we hold on to faith, who you are and what you've done, this darkness becomes an instrument to train, to grow us up, to reform, to rekindle our passion for you. So Lord, all that is in your heart, all that you purpose to do by your word, because you said as the rain comes down from heaven and waters the earth and causes it to germinate and bring forth fruit, so shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish everything that I purpose. Lord, everything that you purpose for this record of what Jesus Christ has done for us, may it work in us everything. May it go deep. May it be germinated. May it bring forth much fruit. Lord, may we just be so excited about the truth that we are reading about what you've done for us that, Lord, somebody wouldn't have to say witness. It would just be like, did I tell you what Jesus has done? That it would just overflow like the song says, it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. Let it bubble over, Lord, our excitement, our understanding of how great, how loving, how compassionate, how good, how wonderful that Christ, my Savior, should die for me. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.